Hello, everybody. This is Gail Craft from the Empowering Process Podcast. And I would like to introduce to you today two people I'm going to be talking to, Petrina and Abigail Gooch. This is going to be a little bit of a sensitive subject because we're going to talk about depression, depression of a child, a depression that a child has no context to express and the parent doesn't even realize that this is happening outwardly. This child was successful, seemed happy, seemed engaged, did well in school. So all of the normal signs that you would think were there were not evident. And so we're going to talk about what that's like and what maybe you should be looking for in the language used in the behavior. Very important episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for sharing the Empowering Process Podcast. You're listening to the Empowering Process Podcast with your host, Gail Craft. Listen as she holds frank discussions around how your purpose, being present, and trusting your power impacts your life. Whether you're an entrepreneur, leader, or developing your vision, you'll find wisdom and insights you can utilize right now. Welcome your host, Gail Craft. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Gail Craft here from the Empowering Process podcast, and I have with me two amazing people. I have Petrina Gooch and Abigail Gooch. And they're here to share Abigail's story and Petrina's experience around severe depression, but not having it being evident in a child. I think this is a very important story. So thank you guys for coming here and sharing it. Now, Petrina, she is the owner of a podcast called Do You Have a Couple of Minutes, which is awesome. And she's the principal with H-E-D. That's the letters H is in Harry, E is in Edward, D is in Doug. It's a national architecture and engineering firm. So she's quite analytical. <laughs> Petrina is a wife, a mom, <laughs> HR executive with more than 30 years of experience and a podcast host, like I said. Um, this podcast provides daily talks that inspire thought, learning, growth, and life fulfillment. Katrina enjoys learning, sharing, insights, and laughter, and freshwater fishing. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Abigail is a recent graduate, a 2021 graduate from UC Santa Barbara with a Bachelor of Arts degree in communication with a minor in applied psychology. She loves to travel, spend time with friends, and binging a great Netflix, which I love to do too, and checking out any new eatery. So she loves food. And we're here to talk about when you were a child or younger and, um, and the experience from your perspective and from your mom's perspective of what was going on when you were feeling depressed but your mom was clueless as to what was happening and then what happened that your mom said wait a minute what's going on here 
Okay. So sure. what was yeah? So what was going on, Petrina? When um, you know, what were the signs that Abigail was doing fine that you didn't even know? Well, I think um, just to start out with everyone, I just want to and and what's clear. I mean, Abigail and I have had a, some different discussions, um, but if anything comes out of this that might be like insightful or, or something different, I just want you to know that um, for me, I'm super proud of Abigail. Um, I love Abigail and um, just, I always want the best for her. And I know that, um, you know, I guess parents can be um, one-sided or, or, or whatnot, but I do know um, just from my work in HR, in addition to being Abigail's um, parent, that she just has a very um, bright future and a tremendous um, mind. So I would say that, you know, when she was a child, I also saw those signs, right? So um, Abigail might remember when she was in um, kindergarten, um, the first day of kindergarten, and Abigail's my second um, child. So um, when she was in kindergarten, her uh, childcare provider took her, wanted to come on her first day of kindergarten with her to make sure that the teacher knew that Abigail was a leader and <laughs> she was going to be in charge and so forth. So. You know, normally just the parent shows up, but the, my child care provider, Grace, was so invested that she also um, showed up and she made sure to tell the teacher, like, Abigail's a leader. She's she's this. And I thought, well, of course, like, she's my child. Um, <laughs> and and she was she was a very she was and is a very compassionate person in terms of like um, if people need help and seeking out um, people. She suffered from extreme eczema um, as a child. And so I think um, she also, you know, that was bothersome um, and it was visible, right? So you could like see it out on her um, hands, but she- And painful. Yeah, she didn't let it um, hold her back. And it's also frustrating, right? As a child, because you're trying to like get help and take care of these things and you're doing all these things and it's just like kind of still there, right? And you're still um, still working with it. So. Um, as a child, she would, would help other people. She seemed pretty happy by all accounts. You know, people liked her. She did really well in school. She played sports. Um, she was an excellent um, athlete. She got the top athlete award um, for her um, school. So she can go back to any high school game she wants and never have to pay again. Um, <laughs> I don't know how many people do that. Um, but, but so... You know, I saw all of those things in her um, as a as a leader, and um, to me, you know, I just thought that hey, here's this you know above average um, normal kid, and every you know there'd be times you know there's five of us, so she has an older brother and a younger brother, um, and there'd be times where we might be at home or someplace, and she might say, oh, I'm bored or I'm sad. Kind of thing and as a parent I just thought okay you know we're giving you everything um, that we can give you um, maybe we're just not giving you enough responsibility or you need something extra to do <laughs> do or something so I would just try to answer that with like finding the time um, to do things versus hearing it as any other thing I just thought that it was just maybe like a kid kind of being bored and I think the other thing that we've learned as we've gone over time is um, we also are um, very different people when it comes to emotion. Mm -hmm. So for me, 
Um, I'm not an overly affectionate or emotional parent. So I wouldn't say like I was detached as like when I had my kids, like I never suffered from postpartum depression or anything like that. But um, as my kids grew up, I actually was the kind of parent that like let out the leash <laughs> and I trusted that they were going to make good decisions that I had given them a good foundation on which to make decisions. So I didn't need to um, kind of be over um, bearing. And I just thought like, okay, they're well-adjusted um, kids. They can, you know, make these decisions. There's no, no issue. I had no idea until probably within the last two years or so, I mean, that Abigail is a very different person in terms of the level of like emotional, how, how she feels things um, much different than I did. So I would say like, I was totally just clueless thinking, Hey, I'm providing her a home two parent family, giving her all, you know, all the things you're supposed to give um, as a parent. So I thought um, paying attention, you know, if she's sick, you know, I take her to the hospital. If she wants to be involved in something, I get her involved in something. She wants to go shopping, you know, go shopping. I had no idea that when she said she was sad, that it meant something beyond just something temporary. So one of the things that I, that I wrote down um, that you said about her was the word compassion. And um, when I think about that word, um, I'm, empathic, right? Which means I will feel what you're feeling. And when I was younger, without context and knowing what to do with these emotions, right? I would take on whatever person I was with, their emotions, whether it's anger, sadness, fear, whatever, I would be feeling their emotions on their behalf, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's when I got into this kind of work and I got, got older, I realized that that wasn't mine to own. So what do you do when those waves come, right? Um, and, and you care. I mean, I was always attracted to the wounded bird, if you will. My friends were all wounded birds, right? And, and I was gonna fix their wing. No, not my job to fix their wing. And it took a long time for me to realize that. So I've learned to let those emotions recognize, oh, it's coming and let it go through me and not hang on to something that's not mine. And that's a maturity, right? And so now you've got this child that is feeling these feelings, right? And no context of what to do with them. So yeah. Katrina, what, tell us what that was like, what you were experiencing during that time. Well, um, I don't know that I was experiencing so much, you know, and we're talking as she's a child and right, I, would, right. I would see her doing these things and, and my older son doing these things. And to a large extent, I thought, okay, wow, I'm modeling great behavior because I do those um, things. And so, mm -hmm. but I think, I think the difference between the two of us is my job has always been a helping um job in some ways. And so I can detach from that pretty simple. It doesn't mean my emotions weren't right. real or feeling, but I detach from those things. Because you have the context. And yeah, I think so. Okay. And I've always, Abigail will probably remember me saying that um, 
I often will say, hey, I would have wanted to be a school psychologist or a school um, psychiatrist, but I could never be in that role because I would have to go underground. I would probably like take the children that were being hurt and take them underground with me. And I, I it, that's a level of emotion that I couldn't handle. Like I know that about right. myself, like I would want to help, but I would never want to put a child in harm's way again. So I guess that's just kind of an example of where I, I thought I was thinking through my own um, frame of reference, right. you know, and trying to give my children what I thought would be best for them based on me versus really more so understanding them and what they need and how they might see something different. Like, right. and, and, and children don't know like, how to express that. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so Abigail, so now we're going to switch to your perspective. Um, and so as you were succeeding and, and it sounds to me like as you were modeling your mom or what your mom, you thought your mom wanted you to, to be, what was going on for you during that time? And at what point did you feel something's not right? I would say that for me, it didn't start as much when I was like an infant kid, <laughs> but um, maybe around like eighth grade um, is when things started for me. I feel like it was, I did see a decline in what I was doing well in. Like at the time I was in a couple of clubs and I left the clubs and I faced some backlash from my teachers. <laughs> I had a teacher that kind of yelled at me in class and was like, if you wanna argue with me, you should have stayed in your mock trial. So I was, facing a little bit of backlash there and noticing that I was kind of pulling out of things, but still mostly invested in my sports and what I was doing. So for me, things were starting to become overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It was me being busy with a lot of things and just feeling that this was just too much for me to handle on top of my emotions and trying to keep those in all of the time. Because I right. felt like for me, something that we grew up with was you can't really control what other people do to you. You can only control how you react to it. Right. And so in trying to control those reactions, I was just having difficulties there. So, and this is what I mean by context, because when we, as an adult, oh no, I won't say that because many people still think control means to bury it and to hold it down, Right. And for me, control means to take it out and have a conversation with it, right? For me, it's like, oh, oh, I'm feeling a little bit angry here. Let's take this out. Why am I feeling angry, right? It, because your emotion is telling you something is off. It's either telling you something is off or it's a trigger from your past, right? So when it's a trigger from your past, and that's why you have a conversation. So why am I feeling this way? Tell me, what, anger, why did you show up, right? literally I will hold a conversation like that right and you know well you know when you were five years old this happened I'm like oh that's in the past it's in the past I'm not bringing it forward and you can give yourself permission to leave it there right mm -hmm. but if it's something present then it's okay so I have a boundary that was crossed 
I have a value that's being dis, disvalued, right? I have something going on here that just isn't cool with me and it has nothing to do with my past. It has to do with the present. Then controlling your reaction is now how do I respond to this? Because this is not cool, right? And so as a child, we hear control and we think, oh, well, I must hide all of this, right? And 13, holy crap. You're going, you're going through so much at 13 and 14. I hate those years. If we could just like skip those, right? Get the lessons, but skip the pain. That would be awesome, <laughs> right? But that's when the shit hits the fan for everybody. I swear to God, 12 to 14, man, you know, stuff happens. Um, and part of it, of course, is your home hormones are kicking in. You don't understand these emotions because they're heightened because of your hormones. Um, so, so you... You gave up the, it sounds to me like the head extracurriculum and went into the physical extracurriculum, right? Um, and so at any point before you um, went into college, at any point, did you realize that you were not happy? You were overwhelmed, but when did you realize you weren't happy? I think I realized pretty early on when I started becoming unhappy, I was surrounding my people, I'm sorry, surrounding myself with people that were also kind of in the same state. So just yeah. exchanging those stories, I was trying to find that I wasn't alone. Yeah. So in that, I also found, okay, this is maybe a little bit more sad than some of my friends in my everyday life would get because I was talking to people on the internet and talking to other selective friends in my life but um yeah so I think just being able to see that in other people kind of made me see that I wasn't alone and helped me to see okay well maybe this isn't is a little bit more serious than what some other people might be going through and at that point, I was also telling myself that, oh, other people have it worse though. So maybe it's not as bad as it can be. And it's not something that I saw in my family. So I didn't really feel like I had like a way of describing it right. or I wasn't sure if they would understand like what that emotion was even like if they hadn't experienced it yet. Right. Or not have had a conversation with you about maybe they had experienced. So yeah. when, when did you become brave enough? Was it you becoming brave enough to say, hey, mom, sh shit's hitting the fan? Or was it mom who turned around and went, what's going on here? So who's the first one who went, eh, we need to look at this? I don't think I ever actually became brave enough to go out and just <laughs> say something. Um, I had an incident in college where I actually ended up going into um, a psych hospital. Um, and at that time, I called my dad and I was like, please don't tell mom. <laughs> don't tell mom that I'm here. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. So I don't think I ever really got the courage to just be upfront about it. Um, it was just a scary thing for me. But I think that when it did come out, it was a really big 
game changer because it was just forced to, I was forced to see, okay, well, what's going to happen now? How are these people? And then finally react to it after all of these years, because it had been something that I was struggling from eighth grade to that freshman year of college. And that's when they finally were finally found out about it. Yeah. And so Katrina, um, what was your response at the time to, oh my God, my baby's in the hospital? <laughs> so I don't know if Abigail even remembers. Do you remember calling me? No. Yeah. No. So she actually did call me um, and she said, mom, I'm in the hospital. And I go, oh, what happened? Where, you know, where are you? Are you okay? Um, and she said, it's not that kind of hospital. I'm in a psych hospital. And I was like, oh, okay. I can remember exactly where I was sitting. Um, you know, I was at work. It was the afternoon. And I went into like my normal kind of mom mode of, okay, how am I going to like fix this? And um, trying to understand what that meant um, because I also, my, my degree is in psychology and um, part of that is you go through like an abnormal psychology um, class. And for me way back then, um, part of that training was I had to go to um, a mental hospital. So at the time Camarillo was still a Camarillo state hospital. And I actually had to go to Camarillo um, state hospital for part of my training mm -hmm. um, through that class. So I'm having visions of, okay, so I've got to keep calm for her, but I also have to solve this. Is this even a safe place? Where is she? And um, I knew that she had just gone there only with what she was wearing. Um, mm. And so I wanted to also like provide like some level of comfort and clothing. So I like immediately went into this mode of, um, I have to get to her. Um, she was like two hours away. Um, it was later in the afternoon. I found out that, you know, visiting hours were a certain time and all this. So I was like calling some people that I knew that lived in the area because I was going to like have them take her some clothes. And oh, I mean, just I was in like fix it um, mode right away. And the whole thing for me was again, I'm kind of like, I had an approach of, okay, this is just something that you can get better from. Like, this is something that um, you can get treatment for, we'll figure out why things are that way. And then there may be some time, but like you can get better um, from it. So I was kind of still in, in that mode and just also thinking, um, it was probably like an uncomfortable thing um, for her, but I wanted her to know that she was had support and to get through it. So that's kind of where I where I was, and I couldn't get there um, in time that night um, for visiting hours. And visiting hours aren't they're only in the afternoon at this place, and so I wasn't able to get there until like the next day. Um, so that was well, I wasn't able to see her um, until the next day and even like the things I brought her um I remember they were like oh well um we have to take the string out of this we can't she can't have this pin she can't have this book that has like an elastic 
and closure on it, like all this stuff. And I'm just going like, what? And it's like, she can't wear these type of pants, I guess, because they were too long and you could like try to hurt yourself with them. So it was just like taking a little bit of time to kind of sink in. And the whole time I was just still in like fix it mode. And I still sometimes am in fix it um, mode of trying to figure out like, okay, what's the why? Let's like, (laughs) let's, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, we are who we are. <laughs> we are who we are. And so at that point, Abigail, do you say, mom, don't fix me? <laughs> I guess it makes her a good person to go to when I can't think of a solution for myself. I think she can balance me out in that way. Oh, and sometimes the solution is is a no solution, right? Yeah. You know, um, one of the trainings that I do, I have this exercise and, and I'll share that with you, um, which has very much to do with the conversation I just had. So, you know, our subconscious mind chitter chatters all freaking day. It doesn't shut up, right? And, you know, it can be your cheerleader is like, oh, this is cool, go do that. Or it can be like, whoa, don't go there, right? That's not cool, right? Um, and so when I have that block, if you will, that's holding me back because my subconscious mind won't shut up, I literally, first of all, I name it. And so my subconscious mind has a name that has nothing to do with me. And my subconscious mind's name is George, right? has nothing to do with my gender with at all, right? And I literally will take it and sit it down and say, listen, George, I'm gonna go do this thing. And now you can come with me or not. I got it, I'm in control, I, I know what I'm doing. As soon as you do that, it becomes your cheerleader again, right? It, it really becomes your cheerleader. But you, you need, this is why the, the, this, these pains that we feel, we have to learn, this world has to learn a different approach to dealing with it because you know, we all have issues. It's getting the context that fits for you, Abigail, and the context that fits for me, Gail, and the context that fits for you, Katrina, because it's all different because yeah. we're different people, right? Different tools, different yeah. approach, different context. Um, it's, it's not, I, saw, I have a friend of mine who just came out of a situation and she's, she says, Gail, what I learned is that I'm not broken. No one's broken, yeah. right? I guess for me, um, when I'm, cause I wanna be a parent and also the dynamic changes, right? As your child becomes an adult, um, child and they're out on their own and they can like do different things and make yeah, their own it's um, fine it's fine decisions. yeah <laughs> so there's I think there's that natural bit too of wanting to be helpful but also not wanting to be overbearing because there's all also things that I think you just learn right um it's part of growing up and part of right. being an adult right um and so there's those things. And then there's other things, you know, you have to really experience them. Nobody can force that experience on you to see things. So, I mean, things 
more simple things, right? Like, okay, hey, it's, it's great to have a daily routine and it's great to do these um, different things and it's great to kind of like set your priorities. And I think with some of those things, like I can share them, but then I also think like with depression, um, it can, it, it kind of causes you, or what I seem to see is that it can cause you to have these different kind of moods where something that one day might seem very normal for you to accomplish, um, now this next day, it's more challenging to accomplish. Like there's kind of the swirl um, that can um, happen. And so just something that you want to focus on. And it's almost um, in some ways, like an out of body um, experience to some. And so as a parent, when I'm trying to help through that, there's a piece of me that's trying to juggle like, okay, is this just normal um, stuff that, you know, you would go through and I can just give this advice or share this and it can be taken? Or is this being complicated by emotions or other things that can't be controlled in the same manner. And so I don't want to push that boundary and make things worse. At the same time, I don't want to not provide that direction or, um, you know, guidance that I know will be helpful um, if you can take it. And so there's this, um, it almost feels like in some ways, like a balance, a little bit of a balancing um, act to make sure that, okay, I still, I have this, is it the right time to hand it to you or is it not the right time um, to, to hand it, to hand it to you? Right. Well, it's, it's, it's a dance. And so um, what came to my mind as you were talking about that experience for Abigail is, you know, life is every day is truly a new day. Like what worked yesterday may not work today. Right. So every day I have to get up with a different perspective as to how I'm going to navigate the day, right? Um, so, you know, I don't have a routine. I mean, I, I kind of do, but I don't. You know, I don't do exactly the same thing in the same order every day when I get up. And I do that on purpose because I don't want to get into a rut because then I'll get bored. And then, you know, then I'll just sit down and I'll, you know, binge on Netflix and never leave. Right. <laughs> um, so, so when I get up or before I get up, as I'm in bed, it's like, okay, so what's on my agenda today? So what am I going to do first? Am I going to get my coffee first? Like I haven't had coffee yet today. Right. Some days it's like right for the coffee machine. Right. <laughs> first thing I don't even hit the bathroom right for the coffee machine. Right. So, um, and I, plan my day at the moment of waking up and plan what I'm not going to do and give myself permission not to do everything. Right. Because that's at least for me, and I'm only talking from my perspective. Um, I used to, used to be the type A, everything had to be perfect 100%. And that was so stressful. There were times then I, the first time I had a breakdown, I was in bed for three days, rolled up in a ball. I, I couldn't stop crying, right? Because I pushed, push, 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 push. So I can kind of relate 
certainly not to the depression, but to the, the having to meet those expectations, even though I'm the only one who set those expectations, no one else put them on me, right? Those were self-imposed expectations. Um, and, you know, that happened a few other times throughout my life. And I learned each time to get better at seeing the signs and knowing when it's time to back off. It's time to take a personal break, right? When it's time to just, you know, express some self-love and time to reach out to someone for help, right? And I think um, that is what's really cool is, Abigail, you reached out for help, right? And I think that's the message that we want to share is use your voice as soon as you can. Sometimes I know it's hard, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's so hard to, to disappoint your parents or disappoint your, your lover or disappoint your friend, right? But ultimately you hurt yourself because you're holding that energy back. So if you were, well, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say that um, one of the things that Abigail did do early on when you were in school, you, she had said, oh, I think I wanna go talk to some, to somebody, to like a school counselor or something. Um, and I thought, with her being away at school, like a lot of times kids go away to school and they're just have this like adjustment period or, you know, they have challenging coursework, that kind of thing. I mean, she was at a UC school. That's one of the top schools. Right. So I just thought, okay, you know, maybe it's just that like transition and yeah, it totally makes sense. Like I'm all on board for um, coaching and, and counseling and those kind of things. And so she had gone to get some help. Um, and I was aware of that, but again, I'm just kind of thinking it's just kind of normal transition type of things, but she actually, I mean, and you can share, it seemed to me when you shared it with me, it was kind of a frustrating experience of actually trying to get the help. Yeah. I think that there was a lot of build up and just trying to find resources, trying to find help and just finding that it wasn't going to be what I needed. For example, with schooling, when I did finally decide to go to counseling, I was only able to go once every two weeks and I was only able to do it for one quarter. And after that, you're not allowed to go anymore. So I had five sessions that I was allowed to go through through the school. And that just wasn't something that was gonna be helpful for me. And I felt like the psychologist that I was matched with just also wasn't a match. and when I looked outward for resources in the area, it just wasn't something that I could do by myself. And so I think that that was just a really frustrating thing to go to is going, being driven to the point where you're like, okay, I finally really do need some help. I can't do this on my own. And once you're finally able to get yourself up enough, because in my opinion, with depression, it's pretty hard to find the motivation to go do things for yourself. Um, so when you do finally have that motivation and see that maybe it's not an avenue that you can really see the end of, um, it was just a really frustrating thing to go through. But now that I do finally have those resources, I, my mom helped me a lot to find a psychologist that was 
a good match. And now that I do have that resource, things have been a lot better. But just going through that journey was really frustrating for me. And I mean, I didn't even know. I knew that she had went to, she had gone to seek help in that the help wasn't what she needed. And that at some point, even um, seeking some help, they'll, they have like turned her away. So <laughs> after she went to, so I guess a few things. Um, one, the fact that somebody's coming to you and you're in a school setting and a research school might have had um, <laughs> um, where you need help and you're going to, to receive the, the help, but it's limited. And if somebody's suffering from depression, that it that they didn't even get to the point of saying, we can't help you as much as you need to be helped. You need to find other resources or here are ways to other resources. I think that's like a real fail um, on the part of a counseling um, program, like five and done. I mean, who, who hears about five sessions and done like that, that doesn't even compute from any kind of no, I mean, that's for someone who's struggling with school, scholastically. Yeah. That is not someone I mean, who has an emotional issue that they need help with. Right. So that that doesn't make sense. And then once she actually did go to the um, psychiatric hospital, when they released her, they gave her these um, resources to go check out, um, you know, in the area by the school. And when she tried to check those resources out, um, some of them are like, oh, what is your issue? Oh, no, sorry, I can't help you with that. You're going to have to do something else. Oh, sorry, I can't help you. When she went back to the school, um, oh, sorry, I can't, can't help you. I mean, to me as a parent, like, I mean, it was extremely frustrating. Like, to me, it was an emergency. This was like an emergency. Right. And so I started, you know, I was getting on the horn and um, found somebody <laughs> that also thought it was an emergency. Um, when I called this counselor and I explained everything to, to, to her, she was just like, okay, you know, I can see her. I want to, I think I can help, you know. So um, what would you suggest people do? Because this is not the first time I've heard this, this story. It's not the first time I've heard when someone is reaching out for help to be told, no, you don't fit. No, I can't help you. Or, you know, it's limited. This is not yeah. An unusual story. So if someone came to you and said, holy shit, my daughter, or Abigail, someone came to you and said, you know, I don't know where to go. What would you suggest that they do so that they get the help they need? Yeah. So I think there's like a few things. Um, and my answer is a little bit um, tentative because there are consequences also to um, getting the help um, that, that you need potentially, right? Um, so I think like definitely you can, if you have like a medical um, provider, um, you can talk to a medical provider. They usually have behavioral um, right. health resources. If the parent or the child is an employee, there are oftentimes employee assistance um, programs that will provide um, counseling. Um, there's now online um, help as well. Um, yeah. So there's better help. Um, better help should give us a plug um, for doing that on your show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, um, that people can get online um, resources. And also through the schools, 
um, there, there can be help um, through the schools, but it's, it can also be a matter of speaking to the right person. Um, and it also depends on the circumstances that people have um, that people have experienced, right? So there are Title IX resources um, at schools that can help people. And I think with those Title IX resources, um, the issue there is that the scope of what they're able to do um, often isn't shared um, with 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 the person that with the student. Um, a lot of times they're restricted from talking to the parent. Um, about resources. And when kids are in these situations where they're needing the help, a lot of times, I mean, they're, they're, they're still kids. They still haven't had a lot of experience. So they don't even know what to, what to listen to. And they're distracted um, anyways, because they're just trying to like get through and, and get the issue solved and, and get some help. So, you know, not knowing the right questions to ask um, is, is tough. I mean, in Abigail's case, at one point when she was able to get some resources, I remember them saying, "Like, well, what do you, what do you want us to do? What, what would you like us to do?" Number one, when you say like, "What do you want us to do?" the way that comes across doesn't necessarily sound helpful. <laughs> but the other thing, the other thing is, and I think they were trying to be helpful. I think mm -hmm. in their minds they were like, "Hey." We've got a lot of stuff like, what, what do you want? But you don't even know what they can do. Like as a, as a student, you have no idea that Title IX would allow them to um, have you switch schools. You could, you could switch schools. You could go to a school closer to your home. You could go to a, a, a school that's different. You have no idea that um, Title IX can um, look at like your grades and allow you to like retake some classes if they were affected um, by by what was going on with you. There is just, this in California, Title this is in This is in California, right. yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if, it, if there's um, other, I think it's it could be broader um, than just California um, or there's gotta be something parallel, but there are so many um, things that are available to them, but you have to know which question to ask. And for me, that's like a fail. Um, and especially with a student, like they should be allowed to have a representative and they should be even encouraged to have a representative, even if it's not their parent, to help them through the process. Um, even the even in a health situation, you want a health advocate. Yes, you, you want, want someone who knows how to navigate the system on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah, and the advocate shouldn't be asking questions of you. The, the advocate should be <laughs> sharing with you. Right, um, here's what, the resources. What, right. What's available and, and what might be an option. So right. I think uh, that definitely, from a resource perspective, um, those are things that I would like to share um, share with parents. And this should be something too that you know schools are sharing purposely with parents that these resources are available. Um, seeing the signs too of depression. Again, if you don't have the language and you're not familiar with it, you're just trying to survive. Right, and children don't have that language. They don't right. know. And even as, a, even as, you know, pseudo adults, right? They're 18. Right. Um, 
I know. I had that magic age. It was hilarious. Well, now that you're an eight, 18, you're an adult. I'm like, well, but yesterday I wasn't. Yeah. What? What happened? I didn't get the magic pill, right? <laughs> so I right? think just sharing those um, things so that it's not a frustrating um, experience for children. And that's, you know, what I was sharing about, like giving, you know, children definitely, but giving people um, language. We were talking about this the other day, we went on a walk and we were talking about, oh, you know, maybe it would be good if we could find some way to help children have more language than happy, mad, sad. Like if there was some way for them from like a picture perspective, even to be able to share things in the picture, like, you know, you see something like, you know, I'm, I feel like, I feel so sad. It feels like all the time when I'm walking around, it's raining on me and I don't have an umbrella. I well, that's a little different visual than, you know, I'm sad because Johnny took my ball, but if I had another ball, I'd be happy. You know, Right, right, right. <laughs> completely, completely different. And so, so Abigail, um, if you knew someone who was trying to control it, what would you say to them right now? I would say that it's okay to look outwards. It's okay to not be able to do it all yourself. And especially when it comes to finding help, it's okay to not be able to do it all yourself. It's okay to have to tell someone hey, can you Google this for me? Can you call this number for me? Can you set up this appointment for me? Because even something as simple as setting up an appointment can feel like a real hassle. Just getting through the operator on the phone can be very frustrating. So I think just being open to talk to someone else about it and just get help from <laughs> Just getting that little bit of help before you get, get to that next step is just, I feel like is really helpful. And just when the time comes, just being open to accept help. I think that's a really hard thing to do is to accept the help that people want to give you or accept the resources that are out there. So just being open and accepting, I think is something that can be really helpful to people. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. So thank you both for sharing your story. It's an important story. There's so much more. I mean, we could go on forever. I have a billion questions that I'm like, I can't ask. We'll never stop this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it is, it is really important. And even once you get help and you know what you need, there can be those moments where it still can be overwhelming, right? Um, right. At times, and you just still kind of need that. Um, you can you can use that help, and I think as a parent, um, it's just important that you recognize. You know, we all recognize that our children are different, and that our children have different interests and so forth. Um, and even that our children feel things a little bit differently, right? Like we know one might be more sensitive than the other one or, or whatnot. But I think really just diving into that a little bit deeper um, and, and truly understanding that or, or truly 
truly remembering that children are children and they don't have that same experience. So when they're expressing things, we have to dig into what it is that they're sharing with us as opposed to pacifying it or solving it. I guess that would be my We all want to, we want to fix it. We want to fix it. We want to fix it. So yeah. you can hear Petrina on her podcast. It's a daily podcast. Um, do you have a couple of minutes? So yeah. absolutely. And, you know, give me the link and I'll post the link in the comments that I make when I okay. hear this. Okay. So yep. again, everybody, thank you so much. This is Gail Kraft from the Empowering Process Podcast. If something came up for you um, that maybe raised a question, put it in the comments and we'll get back to you. If this inspired you, let us know, share it, like it, love it. If you know someone who maybe could get gain something from this, please let them know, share this out for them. And as always, I love you and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Process Podcast. Be sure to visit Gail at gailcraft.com to learn more about how she serves thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and goal seekers. And remember, if you like this broadcast, be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.